Welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God. His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Friday, January 26th, we are studying 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6-15. to 15. In today's text, St. Paul encourages the Corinthians toward cheerful and generous giving that flows out of contentment and out of thanksgiving to God for his overflowing gifts. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Luke Zimmerman. Pastor Zimmerman serves at Calvary Evangelical Lutheran Church in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. Pastor Zimmerman, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Pastor Apple, it's excellent to be back with you. So we get started today. Pastor, give us some context. What should we know about this epistle and anything leading up to our text in chapter 9 today? Okay, so uh, 2 Corinthians is... um a letter, of course, of Paul to the church in Corinth. So this is one of the churches where he had actually spent time at and taught the gospel to. So there are a couple letters where Paul actually writes to people that he hadn't actually met necessarily in person, uh, like Colossians is one of those, where he that that's not a place where he had been and actually served in the apostolic ministry. Corinth is not that. Cor- Corinth is actually a place where where Paul had spent a good amount of time uh, with the Christians there, f- you know, founding the church um, in, in that place. And so uh, there are a series of letters which uh, Paul writes to the Corinthians. Most of our people might be more familiar with 1 Corinthians, which uh, sometimes when I uh, talk to my parishioners, we sometimes call it like it's, it's, it's sometimes the big nasty gram from Paul. <laughs> <laughs> uh, because there, there's there's times where, well, much of 1 Corinthians is a bunch of corrections that Paul has to make with uh, things that have kind of gone awry in, in Corinth. Although there's some great places of like the great resurrection chapter in uh, 1 Corinthians 15. Um, so it's not all negative, but just but it kind of has a tenor of like, there's stuff you guys need to fix in, in Corinth. Second uh, Corinthians also has some corrective, um, especially when Paul has to deal with defending his apostolate, uh, being an apostle, compared to some other people who were uh, kind of suggesting that they were like greater apostles or even super apostles. Um, we'll be hearing that a bit later because uh, that's actually going to be uh, it's going to be like a whole section of that in the part of the letter that comes after what we're looking at today. So so our listeners can can anticipate some of that. Um, but in this part of the letter itself, uh, really kind of chapters eight and nine of Second Corinthians are dealing with kind of the same uh, subject matter. In this case, one of the things that Paul is wanting to do is to make a collection of offerings from some of the churches where he had uh, been as an apostle and, and, and had helped start. So we can think of the churches like in Philippi, 
and Thessalonica. So that's, those would be the churches that we call Macedonian. Okay, so it's kind of like modern-day Greece, north of modern-day Greece, um, the, the Roman province of Macedonia. Additionally, Paul is also taking a collection from the churches in kind of more modern Greece, what we might really think of Greece, um, what the Romans call Achaia or Achaia. And that would include the region or the province where Corinth is based. So in chapters 8 and 9, Paul is speaking about this collection that is being organized by him. He's going to have some representatives come and collect it from the Corinthians, including he mentions Titus as one of the people who will be involved. Um, and that in the section we're going to be looking at, it's not as much a focus of like the procedure of this. That, that you might see a bit more in chapter 8, kind of the, the, some of the procedural aspects. This is more like, I'm giving you the encouragement or exhortation to participate in this because this generosity that you are going to be able to show, because you're going to be equipped by God to show, um, you have been equipped by God to show, as, as, we'll, as we'll see in the text. Um, when you participate in it, what you will do will benefit the recipients of your offerings, uh, where your donations are going. In this case, they're going to the church in Jerusalem, as well as there will be some benefits even for you as the donor. Not talking about, and here's how you can take all your tax deductions or things like that. So, so no, not like, you know, that, that, you know, some people might hear about benefits of donations in our, our context and think, you know, jump to that. Paul's actually going to talk about the, the, the spiritual benefits of this. It's besides, you know, the Roman tax code didn't have all those, you know, nice 1040, you know, schedule A's and everything. So. That's right. So, uh, Pastor Zimmerman. So it's a good, it's a good encourage, it's a good encouragement. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, so I, yeah, it's a good encouragement. Yes. And I, I was, we haven't really talked about this just yet in, in this section, but I think it's it's worth maybe a few minutes reflection. There are some who would say, well, this is not Paul's business to talk about giving. This isn't the the church's business or the the pastor's business to talk about how I, I give an offering. That's that's my business. And and who does the church think it is that that it talks about money like this? Why why is it important for pastors to talk to their people about giving? Why is it important for Christians to to consider texts like this that deal with what we might often call just offhand stewardship? Okay. So if we're 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 gonna look at is um in this is Paul is going to be teaching the Corinthians in, in this encouraging of them to be, to be donors, uh, encouraging them to be generous. He's going to speak about generosity in the way God speaks about it. Okay, so, so, so it's not just Paul giving an idea to the Corinthians saying, here's what I think about generosity. Actually, in the text that we're going to see, we're going to see Paul either making allusions to or direct citations of 
what had already been revealed through the authors of what we call the Old Testament scriptures. So, so where, where God has revealed his will, uh, revealed what he expects of his people. So, so when, when Paul is taking that and handing it to the Corinthians, he's actually teaching them what God has spoken. So, so if we're going to live as God's people according to the will of God, the desires of God, um, if we're going to reflect the character of God, which is the concept of being his children, of, of being his redeemed people, of being the regenerate and, and renewed people, that uh, kind of restoration of image and likeness of God, which is you know, part of this, um, you know, part of salvation. Uh, this is the life now being lived according to that. So Paul is actually just teaching them, here's an aspect of it. One aspect of living as people of God according to his will will include what do I do with the physical possessions in this world that God allows me to own, that God allows me to manage. Uh, so teaching on this is something that we Christians are to do. Uh, if we've been taught the faith, this is part of the faith. This is, this is, this is, this is, this is part of the life uh, of being a, a believer in God, being one of God's people. And for those who have been called to teach that faith, uh, which can be anything from the heads of households as, as, as believers are teaching their children, um, or kind of a more specific calling like those who hold like a pastoral office or, or, a, or a teaching office, if this is an aspect of the faith, then they need to actually talk about it. Yep, that's good. Which so if God's word do. teaches it, we teach it. And and if it God and this is I think just the, the broader point, if God teaches it, it's good. And and we should always keep that in mind. Even when he touches on subjects that maybe we find uncomfortable or think he needs to keep his his hands off of, that's not the case. God God gives us everything. And so he he has the the right and it's good for us that he speaks to us in all of these aspects, including the way that we use those things in this life, those goods, the money that he has given to us for the sake of, of his glory and for the sake of our neighbor. So we get to, to hear more from St. Paul this morning in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 concerning the genera- generosity of the Christian. This is 2 Corinthians 9, beginning of verse 6. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that, having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, He has distributed freely, He has given to the poor, His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for the food, and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing, and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, through which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, 
they will glorify God because of your submission flowing from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. That is our text for today, 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6 to 15. Pastor Zimmerman, our text for today starts with a proverb of sorts. The point is this, St. Paul says, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. What is Paul saying with that pithy statement? Okay, so this is a good uh, kind of nice pithy statement, as as you put it. Um, if we think about just that kind of proverbial statement in its most simple sense, a person who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. A person who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. If you just think of it in the way that if, we're, if our listeners are going to plant a garden or they're going to they're going to plant acreages if they if, if they're farmers um what you put in the ground is going to affect what you are going to at the harvest time be able to take out of the ground so if i'm going to put just like a couple seeds in a pot and so so like i'm going to have a a um maybe a, a garden on my deck. Okay, so I may have a couple of, you know, flower pots and, and things like that. And, and, I, and I put a couple seeds in there. Well, I'm not going to expect that it's going to produce, you know, hundreds of flowers or hundreds of whatever plant it is. I would expect that there will be maybe a little handful of plants which will pop out of the pot which is good because the pot's not that big so you don't want to put like a you know you don't want to put a whole bag of seed in there because that 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 wouldn't be so um so wise to do but if we're now actually talking about like a real garden you know so so not just a a pot but you know um you know half your backyard or some of our some of our listeners might say you know the the 320 acres that that we that we farm um if I'm going around in those large places and I'm going to put like one seed here and then I go walk like, you know, 10 yards and put another seed in and then, then I go walk, you know, like, you know, 30 yards east and then put another little seed in. Well, w- when the growing season then then begins, what I'm going to expect is there's just going to be a couple corn stalks here and a couple corn stalks there or a couple bean plants here and a couple bean plants there because that's all I put in the ground. However, if I put um, more seed in the ground, you know, not enough that would like, you know, oversaturate any, anything, but, you know, um, but, you know, knowing kind of the right spacing and everything like that, I can actually put enough seed in the ground so that I can expect like the whole acreage is actually going to produce a, a crop. So that's, that's the that's just a basic idea. It's a, you know, what you put in is what you're going to take out. Might be a way we, we we rephrase that kind of statement. And we could think about that not just like in plants. We can think about that like in effort. If, if you want to move it into other aspects of uh, of our life, um, it's this is actually something that even even non Christians would know. I mean, you, you, you can find 
that type of proverb, like, as you sow, so shall you reap, uh, from, like, one of the writers, like, Cicero. He, he, he mentions that. The, the, that concept is not, like, a distinctly Christian concept. It's just basic logic, basic reasoning. However, if we now use that and start saying, well, what is the seed we're putting in? Okay? And now, what is the harvest we're expecting? And we're not thinking of it as, you know, literally what I get at the Agway to, you know, plant my garden. Um, but I can think of it in the terms of um, spiritual matters, uh, faith, if you will, um, or the use, what my faith allows me to understand about how I use earthly things. There can be an understanding that what I put in is also going to affect what I, what, what I pull out of there. And so in this case, what Paul is going to be using it is the springboard then to talk to the Corinthians about, okay, we need your money in this case. In this case, we are talking about money kind of being the, the, the thing planted in there as, as the good, if you will, the, the, the earthly thing being put in. Um, because we're collecting it for people who actually need money to buy things so they can survive. Mm. <laughs> However, the act of doing this is more than just the earthly thing. And, that, and that's what Paul is going to start mentioning, that what, what, you're, what you're actually planting has to do way more than the denarii coins or whatever you're, you're sending. It, it, it actually has to do with a much deeper uh, matter. So, okay, start taking us into that deeper matter. And I think that's where Paul goes to in verse 7, where he talks about giving as a cheerful giver, giving according to what you've already decided in your heart, so that it, it's not like verse 6 doesn't become, hey, I'm going to put more money into the vending machine so I get more stuff out or more more coins into the slot machine so that more come out. That's that's not the point. But rather, he he talks about some of the theological foundations and the reality of what God has done that set the basis for this very abundant giving that expects then abundant blessings. Take us into to where Paul goes in verse 7. Okay, so in verse 7, Paul says, Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. And the rationale for, for saying this is the last bit, for God loves a cheerful giver. So here, what he wants to talk about in the sense of giving is to think of this as truly generosity. Paul is not trying to exact something from the Corinthians. He's not trying to levy a tax on the Corinthians. He could. He, you know, he could do some things uh, kind of... Um, like, like, like we see him mentioning in, in, in the letter to Philemon. I'm like, hey, you owe me these kind of things. I can make a demand on you as an apostle. Okay, sure, sure. We, we could do that. He could do that, but that will not actually be beneficial to the Corinthians. Now, he, he could collect money, and the money could get to Jerusalem, but the Corinthians now are going to be like, yeah, we, we did this because, you know, Paul was squawking at us, and so we just, you know, gave, gave, gave money, and, the, and we don't want to be bothered by him anymore. Uh, kind of like Jesus talked about, like, the unrighteous judge where the widow is always nagging him, right? You know, it's like, okay, what do I have to do to just get rid of the nagging person? Okay, that doesn't actually benefit the, the donor, though. It can benefit the recipient of the donation, sure. It doesn't benefit the donor. 
what Paul actually wants to have the people of Corinth understand is generosity is something which is a characteristic of God himself. Generosity has been an expression of God's own will and character. God speaks about himself being generous. God has shown himself to be generous. God, as he has people uh, called to follow him, called to be within his group, and they have his will given to them, they understand who he is, and they understand that they are to reflect him, resemble him. That generosity which God has shown is now to be the generosity that his people show. And God's generosity is not a forced generosity because no one can force God to be generous. No one can, no one can do a shakedown business on God. He, he's the all-powerful one, the almighty one. No one's going to come to him and say, you know, you know that, that, that's, that's a nice shop you got there, God. It would be a, you know, a shame if something happened to it, like you know, some mafioso or something like that. God can't be shaken out like that. Okay. God's generosity is, is all um, part of just what he is. That, that's, his, that's his will and character. It's part of his selflessness. The fact that he brought the whole creation into existence. Selflessness. He just wanted to do it. Um, the the one the, the fact that we actually see the redemption that he brings to the world, that's his own like self donation. God God literally gives himself as the as the incarnate Christ offers his life for the life of the world. Okay, that's the those are those are the things that he has freely done. He has chosen to do so, and it, and it, and it comes out of just like what he is. And that is supposed to then be reflected in what his people are doing, how they see things, how, how they think about things. Which is why Paul, when he says God was a cheerful giver, is he's actually just more or less teaching what the book of Proverbs says. It's kind of more or less quoting the book of Proverbs. Now, in this case, he's quoting uh, or an allusion to uh, the book of Proverbs in the Septuagintal version, so the, the Greek translation of it. Um, God blesses a cheerful and generous man. You know, there, there you have a, a statement like that. That would be Proverbs 22, verse 8, but in the Septuagint. Um, that proverb, though, if you think about it, is actually reflecting what God taught his people earlier through Moses. Uh, in, in the book of Deuteronomy, Moses talks about the generosity that's supposed to be shown from one Hebrew member of God's people to another Hebrew member of God's people as they're going to go into the promised land and live together. So he says, you shall give to him freely. Your heart shall not be grudging when you give to him, because for this the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and all that you undertake. That's Deuteronomy 15, verse 10. The emphasis, again, though, is that the generosity that one of the Lord's people chooses to show is to reflect their will and character, what they've decided in their heart. But remember, the Christian heart is a regenerate heart, renewed heart, a heart that's been uh, softened, been, 
been brought and reshaped into in line with God's will. And therefore, when the Christian is acting that way, when God's people are acting that way, they're actually acting in the way God himself acts, because that, that's what he recreates us to be. Hmm. All right, so this is coming from the very character of God. Christian giving flows out of that. we got about two minutes here before the break, Pastor Zimmerman. That phrase, God loves a cheerful giver. What I mean, practically speaking, what does that look like to be a cheerful giver? Help us to wrap things up on this side of the break. Well, I think if you're going to be kind of cheerful, it's going to be the the, the, the sort of want to. I, I, I want to give. I, I've, I've been moved to give. Not because, not because someone is placing a demand on me. Hmm. Not because I want to just meet some sort of requirement, but I want to act in a way that actually brings me pleasure. And again, for the Christian though, and this is kind of an important thing, we, we don't get to necessarily determine what actually brings us pleasure. But when, when we understand that, Here's what God calls good, and we've been given to now recognize and understand that what God calls good actually is good, and that now that becomes our desire, our, our will, then when I get a chance to fulfill it, it actually is pleasing to me. Hmm. And I think that is a good way of kind of summarizing the idea that the cheerful giver is because we're doing something out of what we want to do and we find joy in it in the same way as God finds joy in being generous, you know, with his creatures. Mm, yeah. God, God grant to us that joy that gives generously the same way that God gives to us, recognizing that all that we have comes from him and seeking to use that freely for the sake of those around us. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on KFUO. We're talking to Pastor Luke Zimmerman this morning. We need to take a short break, but we will be right back. Please stick around. Lutheran Church Extension Fund exists to support Lutheran Church Missouri Synod Ministries and church workers. How do we do this? Your investment with LCEF makes it possible for LCMS churches, schools, organizations, and church workers to receive low-cost loans for new and growing ministries. And faithful Lutherans like you, church members and church workers alike, make that possible when you invest with LCEF. Learn more at lcef.org. LCF is a nonprofit religious organization. Therefore, LCF investments are not FDIC insured bank deposit accounts. This is not an offer to sell investments or solicitation to buy. LCF will offer and sell its securities only in states where authorized. The offer is made solely by LCF's offering circular. Investors should carefully read the offering circular, which more fully describes associated risks. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Friday, January 26th. We're studying 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 to 15 with Pastor Luke Zimmerman. He serves at Calvary Evangelical Lutheran Church in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. Pastor Zimmerman, prior to the break, we left off at verse 7, picking up again now in verse 8. Not only does God desire us and 
allow us to be cheerful givers, but he actually enables us to be cheerful givers. Talk about what Paul says there. God is able to make these things happen. So now Paul is going to move to the, the idea is like, okay, I'm not just going to try to encourage the Corinthians to be generous by talking about, you know, here's what, here's what is pleasing to God. So that, that's, that, he's already mentioned that. He's, he's kind of cleared that hurdle. But he wants to actually talk to the Corinthians and say, here is what God has enabled you to be. Here is what God has equipped you with so that you can be a cheerful giver, so that you can participate in this collection that I'm helping to organize for your fellow believers in Jerusalem. So when, when he moves it, moves the discussion forward, he's now going to talk about what does enable the Lord's people to be generous. So he tells them, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. That, that's verse 8 of our, of our reading. That statement about the Corinthians having been worked on by God, that, that, that God has been active in and among them, that they have been equipped to abound in every work that is good and pleasing to God, what Paul mentions there is because God has provided them what's necessary to do this. Now, what is necessary for the people to be generous? Well, one of the things that's necessary for the people to be generous is that you need to have a will to be generous. And so that's what we can talk about, again, the, the renewing aspect of, of um, sanctification, if we want to use kind of a, tech, you know, a somewhat technical term. As we have been made holy, as the Christian has been made holy, that includes a changing in the will. And so, again, we're not just only rebellious against God, enslaved to sin, but we actually walk in newness of life that the Spirit creates in us. Okay, so that's part of it. Additionally, um, you can be generous because God has actually granted you things that you can give. You know, so... What has God granted that the people can give? Well, um, part of understanding that God is the provider of all good things, that God does supply daily bread to his people, that God allows us to have what we need in this body and life just to support this, this body and life, those teachings are, are direct us to an understanding of just what God is, who, who he is, and the activities that he has uh, done in and among us, I including that he's put us in places where we are recipients of his generosity, including his generosity with temporal things. Because God has provided what is necessary for us. And this is a this is this is a trust matter. This is a faith matter because you even start looking at like, here's what I calculated is necessary, right? And you know, that might not match up with what we see God providing. You'd be like, whoa, well then God hasn't provided. It's like, no, there there is an aspect of trust and faith that what is necessary for each day that we live 
will be provided each day by God. So it is partially a faith matter. Um, if we are trusting that God will actually give enough things for us to um, use for our own survival, that we will have enough for ourselves, then we can then um, be generous with the things that, that God bestows to us because we're always trusting God is going, God is not going to like then skip out on things or like turn the tap off so, so that we won't be supplied with, with, with things. So, so he's actually kind of talking about a, a faith and trust matter here that we understand God as the, the giver of all that's necessary for our body and life, which includes temporal, earthly things that we need. Or in our catechism uh, with our audience, we talk about all the things which are included in the petition on daily bread, that, that those things are given to us by God. And we, can, and we can rightly expect them. And that's what Jesus teaches, right? God, your Father, knows you need all these things, right? So, so you, you know, don't, don't be the, the worry. Where am I going to get all these things? And the, and the life is more, you know, the, more than just what you put on, right? So Sermon on the Mount teaching from Jesus. Well, Paul's brought that to the Corinthians, and he's reminding them of that, that, that God has equipped you with um, what is necessary for you to live. Additionally... God, in reworking our thinking, again, that this is the, this is the renewal of the heart and mind, the, uh, the regeneration that takes place, also can create in us contentment so that we can look at the things. And Paul will talk about contentment. I, I've learned to be content in want or in plenty, right? And, and he goes on a whole listing of, of, of that. Well, that sort of contentment that Paul has learned is not just that Paul can learn it, it's that all of God's people can learn it. And as they do learn to be content with the things they have, they can trust, I have received what's necessary for me to live, then I can start to also identify, well, where are the things where God has actually not only given me what is necessary to live, he's, he's also given me like, a bit more than what is necessary to live. And that now becomes the tool or, you know, uh, the, the earthly object, the, the, the temporal object that I can now use um, in a generous way. It can be what I now share with another person so that I become an instrument of God's providing. God, God is using me as a tool his hands, if you will, um, to assist others in receiving what they need for their daily bread. Because today, he may have actually given me not just like 1.0 daily breads, if we want to kind of think of it like that. He, he, he may have given me 1.5 daily breads or 3.2 daily breads. I, I, uh, I know it's, it, it's kind of odd to think of it in, in that kind of manner. Um, but really, that's, that's a good way of looking at it because there are going to be people where compared to maybe what God has allowed us to possess, um, where really, if you compare it to maybe what, what God is giving to them, they are still getting the 1.0 daily breads or, or, or thing, but we might actually be 10 times, 100 times 
much more. And quite honestly, as Western Christians, that's probably the case um, still for us living in, in, in uh, you know, the first world and where we are. Mm. That, that's maybe one of the benefits that, that God has blessed us with this. And, and really, if you kind of think of like the geography of, of the ancient Near East, if you think of like the Roman Empire geography, um, uh, Corinth is not a poor town. Corinth is a big shipping area because it's like it's on an isthmus, so there's lots of uh, they can they can bring goods across it, the narrows. So I mean, there's a lot there's a lot of capital going through Corinth. So um, that's right. There, there's a lot of daily breads, if you want to think sure. that way. Sure. Talk talk to us about that Old Testament quote that Paul offers there in verse nine. Oh sure. So verse nine, um, which is now which Paul brings up. He quotes uh, from the Psalter, he quotes Psalm 112 as his argument for this. Um, and when he talks about uh, Psalm 112, he's talking about a psalm that describes a blessed man. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. That's the way Psalm 112 begins. And then Psalm 112 has a bunch of verses that talk about the characteristics of that blessed man who is uh, fearing the Lord and delighting in his commandments. And one of the statements is he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. And I will tell you, admitting, pulling, pulling back the curtain here as, as a preacher, um, I've preached on this text before, and early in my ministry preached on it because this, this portion of Scripture from 2 Corinthians is used for harvest observances. Mm -hmm. And in the churches that I served, we kind of would alternate between like Thanksgiving Day readings or Harvest Day readings uh, for our Thanksgiving holiday. And I served in Iowa for four years, so we, you know, we, we saw the cornfields and everything yeah. like that. Um, but the first couple of times you preach on this, you'd be like, oh, yeah, so, that verse that Paul's quoting is talking about God. But it's not talking about God. It, the, I mean, it is because all the scriptures talk about God, yes. Right. But in this case, Psalm 112 is talking about what God makes a blessed man to be. Hmm. These are the characteristics of a person who has been called to fear the Lord, placing faith and hope and trust in the Lord and to abide by his commandments. And the character, one of the characteristics of that is the person that God has called into that now demonstrates it in their actions. And one of the actions is what verse 9 says. He, that is the person, the person of God has distributed freely. He's given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. And that's why it's always good when we, you know, when we read the scriptures, especially when you have quotations uh, in the New Testament, it's always helpful to go back to the Old Testament and open it up and say, where is this exactly from? So you don't make the rookie pastor mistake like I made, talking about, well, God, <laughs> God is distributed freely. and gives, Well, yes, that is absolutely true. I mean, that, that's not wrong, but that's not the upshot of that verse. The upshot of that verse is the generosity that God has shown now affects the people who have received it 
and are putting their trust in God's generosity so that they become generous, which is what Paul wants the Corinthians to know. Now, as Paul continues then into verse 10, after that quote from Psalm 112, he comes back to the same image of farming seeds and bread and those kinds of things. Take us into Paul's continued conversation there in verse 10. All right. So verse 10 is, you know, it's kind of a callback to that, uh, you know, sowing sparingly, reaping sparingly, or sowing bountifully, reaping bountifully. So now he says, I'm going to tell you who actually supplies the seed to the sower. I got to tell you who supplies the bread for the food. Um, and it's no secret to you, Corinthians, because Paul's talked about this before when he was with them, you know, when he was actually teaching them the faith. But it's a good reminder. The one who's supplying the seed to the sower and the bread for the food, that's God himself. God is the one who provides the seed that goes into the ground. God is the one who actually provides the physical goods that are produced from the crop. That's why he's, he's, the, he's the ultimate giver. So, yes, he might use um, all sorts of instruments on earth to, you know, to be his tools, all sorts of people to be his tools. Or you might have all, like, the natural systems that he, you know, the water cycle and everything that God, God established as his order in creation. Um, but God is the one who's actually providing these things. And now he wants to tell the... Um, the Corinthians, that the person, that is God, who has given them their daily bread is now going to allow them to be instruments of generosity. And the seeds of generosity that they plant is going to be a harvest of righteous good deeds that they are doing. So this is faith being put into action. And I think that's, that's, I think that's the kind of the key of looking at this entire section, uh, both chapters 8 and chapter 9 is this whole collection thing that Paul is talking about is, I'm going to give you an opportunity to put what you believe about God into concrete things that you do. Faith active in love. Faith active in works. Okay, so it's not just I, I know a bunch of trivia about God, but I know things about God's will and character which he's demonstrated to me, which I am putting my hope and faith and trust in, that's also recreating me, regenerating me, renewing me, so that I can now act according to God's will and character as, as God is shaping and transforming me. And this is what turns the thing away from um, the idea that the Corinthians are doing this on their own, they're not doing this on their own. They're doing things that God is empowering and enabling them to do. Which then he says, you're going to be enriched in all these things. <laughs> and, and here's now what the benefits are going to be for you, as well as the benefits are going to be for the Jerusalem Christians that you're assisting um, mm. through this faith being put into this type of concrete action. So keep keep moving us forward here in the, the text and into verse 11, and then also into the results that he begins to describe in verses 12 to 14. Okay, so this idea of being enriched in every way, to be generous in every way, is that's, again, Paul kind of talking about, here's, here's, here's what God is uh, prompting and working in the Corinthians. Okay, again, 
as as uh, they are being renewed and regenerated and, and empowered and, and and prompted and motivated. Remember, we, we talk about this uh, uh, good works um, like this is where we actually are cooperating with God. God, God, you know, salvation. We don't cooperate with God. That's 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 not it. But there is a little bit of cooperation in the sense of um, as as God now works in us, we are now driven uh, to, to to do things. Um, that he, he equips us to do. And so this is what he's saying, that's happening to you. What it's going to now, the effects it's going to have is that when we now take this stuff from Macedonia and Achaia, because we're going to put it together with what we got from the, from, you know, the Philippians and the Thessalonians, and we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna, we're gonna put it together with you, and then we can talk about all the people he sends in Acts 20 with the collection, all these people um, uh, who are from all these cities, and they're going to go with Paul. So you don't have to worry about losing the stuff or where did the money go, right? So, um, so now when this gets brought down to Jerusalem, it's going to have an effect in Jerusalem. And that's what Paul now starts talking about in verses 12, 13, and 14. Here, he's now starting to describe what the generosity of the Corinthians through their offering donation is going to achieve for other people. Their donations are going to help meet the physical needs of their brothers and sisters in Christ who are in Jerusalem, who need it. That's, that's at the most basic level. That, we're going to keep some people from starving to death in Jerusalem. And that's a nice thing, you know, yeah. um, you know, and, and we don't need to have, you know, the eyes of the angel playing in the background and have Sarah McLaughlin on and, you know, like, like the ads <laughs> we see on TV. Okay. All right. So we're going to have a first level achievement here. Okay. But, but now Paul then starts talking about um, not only are you going to be keeping people alive, not only, and, you know, not only is daily bread going to be provided through you to these fellow Christians in Jerusalem. Now, when those people in Jerusalem receive these benefits from you, they are going to give thanksgivings to God. They're going to offer their prayers of thanksgiving to God for what? For providing what they needed. But their thanksgiving is also going to be done understanding who was the instrument God used. So when I'm the Jerusalem Christian and I've received, you know, um, w whether it's like, you know, the coins are doled out or maybe what they purchase is, is doled out to me. And, and the people can say, this was brought to you by your fellow believers in Christ who live in Greece. When the people in Jerusalem are going to give their thanksgivings to God, you know, their, 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 their prayer of thanks to God, they're going to be able to do is say, I am giving thanks to you, God, for allowing and permitting and moving, enabling those Corinthian Christians to be part of this collection. And so now the Jerusalem Christians when they're glorifying God for what they've received, they are glorifying God for what the Corinthians had done to demonstrate what the Corinthians were believing. And then 
they will praise God on behalf of the Corinthian Christians, putting their faith into practice. Well, that's a, not a bad thing. That, so every time we put this in words like this, like, like, like Paul mentions, these aren't actually trifling things. <laughs> so when, 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 when a person glorifies God for what God has done for them through another person, the mention of that is not trifling. It's not, it's not nothing. That, that, that's, um, that's what Paul wants them to know. It, 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 it's not. Additionally, um, the Jerusalem Christians are also going to pray for the Corinthians. That's what he mentions in verse 14. While they long for you and pray for you because of the unsurpassing grace of God upon you. Um, because this entire thing, this entire enterprise of the collection is actually showing the koinonia that exists, the fellowship that exists. And it's interesting, that's the word um, uh, that, uh, that we use uh, to talk about contribution here in, in our text was translated there. It's actually uh, koinonias, which is an interesting kind of, uh, it's a sharing, literally a sharing. And it's a sharing that's reflecting the full fellowship that exists between the Corinthian Christians and the Jerusalem Christians because they're all one body in Christ. They've all been incorporated into Christ because that's what God has actually brought about. Yeah, um, we, so, we talked yeah. a little bit about some of those themes when it comes to the, the matter of giving in previous texts, and it, it really is striking how that then plays into this larger theme that goes back into 1 Corinthians as well of the unity that exists within the body of Christ under the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that there are no divisions certainly not doctrinally, as Paul's emphasized, especially in 1 Corinthians, but now also in terms of the, the physical realities, the gifts within the church, that this is a part of our sharing together and being united in Christ is this matter of giving and supporting each other financially and physically in these very real concrete ways. This is a part of that koinonia that we have. What a, what a marvelous thing that God has included us and incorporated us together into the body of Christ in that way. Now, Paul concludes our text for today in verse 15 with a rather short, simple statement. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. We have about four minutes here, Pastor Zimmerman. Help us to, to wrap things up and to understand the, the fullness of what Paul is, is giving thanks to God there in this final verse of our text. You know, the real kind of question is when, when Paul is giving his thanksgiving, he's like, what is, the, what is that gift that he's giving thanks for? Um, and, and the fact that he calls it inexpressible, is, you know, uses that adjective, I think is great. It's really something that no matter how many words we might spill on, on a page, we really, can't, we really won't ever be able to exhaust. Because what's ultimately, what's ultimately being, being talked about here is divine generosity. The generosity that came from God himself. Okay, so when we talk about what, what, what is the gift that, that, that God has given to us? Well, I mean, we can go kind of far afield of, I mean, the, the, you know, that, that catalog of gifts is almost inexhaustible. Because we, we talk about he is the giver of all good things. Well, that includes... Yes, the daily bread aspects, you know, the, the things that we need for this body and life, absolutely. Uh, it includes our own bodies themselves. It includes the various talents and abilities God has given to us. Those, those, those are gifts. Um, 
But you know, if you really want to talk about where where's God's generosity fully been shown or been displayed in in the greatest of ways, well, one, He brought us into existence. Two, He didn't just you know junk us after we rebelled against Him, but 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 actually determined I I am going to redeem my rebellious creatures, and the way I'm going to do it is actually literally giving myself to do it. That that's what's going to accomplish it. So that, that redeeming work that, that, that Christ has done. And then we talk about, well, what was necessary for the redeeming work for, uh, for the work of Christ to, to accomplish redemption? Well, that included uh, God assuming a human nature and then living among us and even suffering death, which he didn't deserve, you know, so that we might live. That's, that, that's part of the generosity or the, 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 the great grace, the great, gift that that God has bestowed and, and then not only does that happen that then he incorporates us all into himself in, in, into the into the body of Christ and he establishes a fellowship and bond that links all of us together so much so that Jesus will say when you do something to the least of these my brothers you actually did it to me okay well that that's also part um the fact that we um you know limited human beings are equipped and enabled by God to do things that reflect his will and character. You know, the sanctified life is another gift. I mean, so when you start talking about, you know, what, what is the gift of God? What are the gifts of God? What is the generosity of God? At some point, just in our short kind of knocking it around, is like, we're identifying a whole mess of things, which I think is what, what Paul's getting at. You know, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. He's talking like the whole enterprise. The whole matter. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, the, that list of, of the gifts that are listed in the fourth petition in the catechism, as you mentioned earlier, all of that and more, all of this is God's inexpressible gift to which we give him hearty thanks. Pastor Luke Zimmerman is pastor at Calvary Evangelical Lutheran Church in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. He's been helping us today to study 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 to 15. Pastor Zimmerman, thanks for being our guest today. Always welcome and glad to do it. God shapes us after his own heart. He has been generous with us. He has shown that generosity fully in his son, Jesus Christ. And now he enables us to be generous with the gifts that he has freely given to us. I am your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. If you have any questions about 2 Corinthians chapter 9, send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. It is always a joy to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again next week.